Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazor. And welcome to this week's weekly recap, where we will be covering football recruiting, mumbles quietly, men's casketball, women's casketball, and of course the Bat Cats and the Wacky Segment of the Week. We would be covering men's golf, but they didn't compete this week. Nothing to cover. Nothing to cover. Shame. But the first little bit is a bit of football recruiting, and that is another 2024 high school commit to your Kansas State Wildcats, and that is Jake Stonebreaker, the three-star, I believe, athlete, but he'll be playing linebacker from Colorado. He is the number two rated Colorado prospect. on Is it on three or rivals? Um, on three. So we have the top two Colorado players in Blake Barnett and Jake Stonebreaker. And before Connor gives his his full scouting report, I'm just going to nip this in the bud right now. The the comp to Austin Moore is like, is it the worst comp I've ever seen in my life? No, I just think it's a really lazy one. <laughs> it's like, hey, he's a linebacker. Sure, whatever. He's Austin Moore. What kind of linebacker? Real gym rat, hard worker. <laughs> first guy. He's a us. he's a WLB, a will linebacker, <laughs> and nothing else. And nothing else. But Connor, what do you think about Jake Stonebreaker? Um. Uh, well, I think that he's underrated because he should be a five-star number one overall recruit as all K-State commits are. But in actuality, I really like Jake Stonebreaker. I imagine he's going to be vying with Blake Barnett for that number one Colorado spot uh, for a majority of the cycle. Um, he's, I, yeah, I, I, I get why people drift to the uh, Austin Moore comp, it, but you're right. It is like not the most uh, creative Comparison, I guess, is how I'll put it, Um, even if it's not like inherently wrong. Uh, But I I really like his uh, athleticism, which should be apparent from the fact that he is listed as an athlete. Uh, I've had a lot of his huddle clips have him playing running back where he uh, showcases not like elite level track speed, but he does showcase really good acceleration. Uh, and an ability to get to his top speed quickly and maintain it over a long distance, uh, which I, I I find can probably be really useful for a linebacker prospect. Uh, on his linebacker highlights, he showcases some pass rushing and also some really solid form tackling as well. He kind of played uh, in that kind of hybrid like edge rusher uh, sort of spot, but I don't imagine he'll be doing that at K-State. I don't think he has the length to do that at the Power 5 level. Um, that's not a knock on him because I think he's just going to be really good elsewhere. Um, he, um, all, all in all, is a very competent and well-put-together linebacker prospect uh, that plays uh, really effectively in the... Uh, uh downhill run defense but he also has a, at least one or two highlights of him splitting out to cover uh the slot uh which is really impressive for a linebacker not doing a terrible job at it either and for someone that's 6'1 200 pounds covering the slot is not exactly an easy task unless you're just a freak athlete unless you're so Isaiah sh- Simmons yeah but he doesn't count <laughs> and he, not real yeah that, but he uh but Jake Stonebreaker showcases a, a pretty impressive display of athleticism uh, mixed with um, pretty decent size as well. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but I think he fills a need for us pretty effectively. And he's still a junior in high school, so he's probably going to grow a little bit more. Uh, so by the time he hits campus, he could be maybe an inch or two taller. Um, but we'll see on that. But um, yeah, he put together a pretty nice highlight tape. And I, I like him a lot. Uh, he's not my favorite commit out of this class, um, but I, I do really like him. I think my favorite commit right now is probably still Gus Hawkins. Yeah, uh, that'll be really tough to beat. Hawkins is going to be an absolute menace, I think, when he fills out. Because he's already, he's like Fulmer 
and that last and that like last year was his first year playing offensive tackle and he still looked really good and still has to put on a lot of weight Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's what makes him so intriguing and his frame is really excellent for offensive tackle so but i digress this is not about uh, Gus Hawkins is about Jake Stonebreaker, <laughs> but what do you think about Jake Stonebreaker? Ace? I I think that the the number one thing that sticks out to me is his plus athleticism at the linebacker position. Honestly, I could see a world where I'm not saying this is what will happen, but I can see a world where in a, in a in a Big Twelve that has embraced hybrid defenders, I could really see him being like the true true hybrid that places like West Virginia have really, really started embracing with their uh, spear position, which is the mixture between what we call Jack safety at K-State, which is where Josh Hayes and Drake Cheatham played a little bit this last year. Uh, Also a little bit towards the back end and then the Big 12 championship, Keenan Garber. But, you know, it was, I could see him being that hybrid position with that athleticism if he remains the same size. If he does grow a few inches, I think he will be a true, like, will linebacker. I think he could play Sam in the same way that Jake Clifton was playing Sam last year and that we almost deployed two different types of Sam linebackers where we have the the more tackling, more finesse, more traditionally off-ball Sam linebacker like Jake Clifton, and you have the more traditional rush Sam linebacker in Khalid Duke and uh, Gavin Forche. Which, speaking of, I think people forget that Gavin Forche is on this roster. I haven't forgot. I'm I think we'll be seeing. I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of him this year, especially with uh, Khalid Duke. Uh, probably assuming. Assuming he, that he's going to move back to defensive end with uh, the loss of uh, Felix to the draft, yeah. I I, th- I think you can almost write in that he's going to be moving to defensive end. I don't Let's think see it's if been they already him. have written it in. <laughs> it, that's entirely possible, but um, I I think we'll be seeing more for Shea. Um, uh, they still have Kula Duke at linebacker. That's we'll see if that last. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah. The, as the dog barks outside, it's not my dog, but yeah, I I'm really excited about Stonebreaker just because of the versatility that he offers at linebacker. I don't see him as a Mike linebacker. I'm I'm just not sure if he's that all arounder kind of guy. He he could play. Oh god, here we go. I know the the Aust- I said the Austin Moore comp was lazy, but this is the only comparison that I will draw between the two. Both could theoretically play middle linebacker in a pinch if they needed to, but that's not their natural position. And that's pretty much where I believe the comparisons end because Stonebreaker is a better athlete. That's no disrespect to Austin Moore. Jake Stonebreaker is just a monstrously good athlete. (laughs) But that's pretty much all I have to say on Stonebreaker. Do you have any final thoughts before we move on to what I'm sure everyone has already thought a lot about. Last thing I'll say on Stonebreakers, I could totally see him becoming a guy that uh, if we get a few more big commits, could be someone that flies a little bit under the radar mm-hmm. um, in the minds of K-State fans as they evaluate the incoming class. Um, but he's somebody that should stay on the front of everyone's mind. Uh, I, I really like him as a prospect. Hmm. I agree. All right, time to talk about it. So the men's basketball season is over. We're not going to recap the game uh, against Florida Atlantic, partly for our own sanity and partly because literally every K-State podcast under the sun has already covered it. So it's been like a week. It's been basically it's been five days. So it's been it's been basically a week. So uh, there's nothing that we could say that could reasonably add on to what happened to the game. And I, the reason why we delayed the episode is because we always record on Thursdays and we just weren't going to adjust the schedule for a loss. Yeah. <laughs> but also because I feel like we would have been, well, we both probably would have been really negative during it and i don't feel like this is basically us moving on from the game and talking about the season on the whole 
So I there I've seen a lot of people on Twitter saying like, oh, no, you can't like you can't or you shouldn't claim, you know, moral victories of, oh, we were picked last in the we were expected to be last in the Big 12. Uh, we should have just been happy to be there. And I agree with the second sentiment, not really the first, because like, be honest, this season did expect exceed our expectations. Connor and I predicted that this would be a bubble team without KJ and then firmly in the tournament. No one knows what would happen with him. This exceeded our expectations. And a big part of exceeding expectations is it hurts even more when you get the rug pulled out from under you. So, yeah, it it hurts. It verifiably does hurt because this was the quote unquote. I disagree with the whole easiest path thing, but. I guess, relatively speaking, this would be one of the easier paths to K-State winning a national title. But here's where I, where there's room for optimism. Tang was a first-year head coach. Granted, he spent 19 years as an associate head coach and right under Scott Drew. But there's always a difference and there's always growing pains. So the fact that we made it to the Elite Eight with a first-year head coach who, you know, assembled the roster ridiculously quickly, made up of a bunch of stars, and it was by far the most exciting K-State basketball team, maybe ever, but certainly in my time as a student, that's something to be applauded. And I don't think, I agree with everyone that says Jerome Tang can take us back there. I, there there's some controversy about, oh, uh, K-State, like, whenever they, whenever a K-State head coach gets their first tournament bid, they typically don't make another, or if they do, they don't advance very far. I, I hate to be this, I hate this to be my argument, but Tang is just different. <laughs> he is, he's just different from all those other guys because he's instilled the culture of belief, not only on the team, but in the fan base. So I, I've talked a lot about sort of digesting this loss and where it stands in the rest of the season and the future. Connor, I'll give you that opportunity before we start talking about uh, who we have to wave goodbye to this season. Uh, yeah. The first thing I'll do is I will differ a little bit from what you said on path to the national championship, because I do think it's possible that we could have an easier path, but I think it's highly highly unlikely because the chances of getting as far as we did and what would have been a path all the way to the final if we could have won a national title without ever seeing a one seed this year and based on past experience and like how tournaments have gone in the past the chances of that happening are so 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 low and um, to not face a one seed at any point uh, in the tournament obviously without like notwithstanding if we were a one seed hypothetically, but um, I, and that's not to disrespect FAU or anything like that, but I think we were in a very good position to have an easy path. And I think that's, what's frustrating um, everybody so much about that, but regardless, it's also at the point in the tournament where any team that you're facing is going to be a good team. Yeah. Uh, so it's impossible to say that it's an easy path, although it could be perhaps easier than yeah. the ones you're used to. I think also some of the frustration from this game for a lot of K-State fans is the fact that this is now the third time in the last uh, 13 years that we've made it to the Elite Eight and lost to a mid-major. And uh, it's also, I think, our eighth yeah eighth straight loss in the elite eight i'm glad you knew exactly what i was talking about Mm -hmm. uh which is the most ever i think and uh that's the longest elite eight losing streak uh in the country uh and that's um i think jay wright was making a point about it on cbs he was saying that it's pretty much the most painful game to lose in the tournament because you get all the way to one step before the final four and the final four is where you can really say like okay we made it and the Elite Eight, you lose just before that point. And that's super painful because Final Four at that point, you win two games, you're a national champion. 
Um, so losing the Elite Eight is maybe the most painful way to go out because it leaves a lot of what could have been mm-hmm. uh, in your mind. I'm not sure if that's exactly the point he made, but I know that he was making some points uh, similar to that. If he had a point. I, I'm sure he was trying yeah. to make one. <laughs> uh, yeah. I may or may not have plagiarized. I just don't know. But he... Uh, <laughs> Um, but, but yeah, I think there's a lot of validity to the, uh, angst and disappointment. Um, however, I, I don't think that we should allow that to take away from this having been a season that completely exceeded all reasonable expectations of, I think anybody involved with the program. I don't think even the coaches probably didn't think that we were going to do quite as well as we did. Because uh, I know that Jerome Tang said before the season that they wanted to make it to March Madness. That was their goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think he expected us to get as good as we did as quickly as we did. Um, a lot of that is writing the coattails of Keese and Keontae Johnson, uh, which those are two irreplaceable uh, players, I think. I, I just don't think you can go out into the portal and find another Marquise Noah or Keontae Johnson. You can try, but it's I think that's a fool. That's a fool's errand to find someone that will do all of the things Marquise Noel did. Yeah. I think like, you're not going to go find 30, 12 and five steals uh, in the portal uh, nope. tomorrow. <laughs> you can, sure. You can get a guy like severe Wheeler from Kentucky. Who's a really good distributor and is small in stature. He's like five, nine, but he's not Marquise Noel. He's, mm-hmm. he's a lesser version of him. Yeah. But regardless, this was still all things considered. I think, probably an a plus basketball season um and I've, not only just from the wins on the court but you, you talked about culture uh and that has seen dramatic improvement the fan base is the most unified it's been in basketball in a very long time you know how uh, hard it is to get k-state fans to not hate each other very <laughs> i i'm a twitter user so i know but it's a uh, Super impressive uh, that Jerome Tang was able to really grab a hold of the fan base and also get his finger on the pulse of the fan base so quickly. He, I think he very quickly identified a lot of the issues that were being had with the fan base. And part of it is winning cures all to a certain degree. Granted, uh, even in the past, we've had winning seasons and not unified the fan base. But um, winning is a, is a big help. Entertaining basketball. Uh, is a big thing as well. Um, big wins over quality teams and and recruiting at a high level. We have three, four stars coming in. So everything right now with the program is trending up. Even if we have a comparable or even a slight step down next year, I still think that the program overall is trending up yeah. because a lot of our big wins this year came from superstar basketball from Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson. I I don't think we're going to be that top heavy next year. I think pretty much everybody's in agreement. They think we could have a better roster top to bottom, like one through 13. We might be better in that regard, but we're not going to have a Marquise Neville and Keontae Johnson that are just going to go out and drop 30 yeah. uh, on a given, on any given night. Yeah. But I'll, 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 I'll wrap it up here. Um, I, I was super happy with this basketball season. Uh, completely taken by surprise with how quickly we got to be good. Um, and I'm really, really excited with where Jerome Tang is going to take the program. Um, despite the losing the elite eight really hurting, uh, the path to get there had some unbelievable all time, great K state wins and all time, great K state moments that are going to oh. be in the, I mean, we Keontae Johnson had, uh, and Marquise Noel had moments this year that are going to be like eternal shoe ins on the pregame highlight reels. Yeah. So like, like multiple Cartier Jara dunk moments this season. Uh, we, we had some all time tournament games this yeah. year. Now, when the one shining moment uh, video comes out, Marquise Noel is going to get plenty of time dedicated to just him uh, and the incredible things that he did. Uh, but there's, it was an incredible year, uh, especially for uh, Coach Tane to put all of this together uh, in just one offseason uh, and find guys to fill in roles where we needed them uh, and then go out and recruit some new guys to join uh, for uh, next year. Um, but now we're, I guess we're looking at the transfer portal now uh, and seeing who we can get from there. I imagine 
that we're probably going to be going after some big fish uh, in the portal. I'm looking forward to it, but a lot of time left in, in the portal. I, who knows when we're going to see movement there, but yeah. going to miss all the guys. Yeah, if we get a small school guy, just know that there's a reason. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but speaking of, you said it right before I, I so rudely interrupted. It was saying saying goodbye to to everyone who will be graduating or moving on this year. That's a uh, Marquise Noel, Keontae Johnson, Desi Sills, Abayami Ijiola, Taiki Green, and Ish Masood is transferring uh, via grad transfer. I kind of want to work backwards, and by that I mean I want to cover Ish transferring first. I I agree with sort of the 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 consensus take of it was probably a mutual thing. Like we like we love Ish, we love what he do what he does, but he has to do it off the bench for us. And I think that Ish is good enough to be some like somewhere in the starting five of a lot of other schools. And I think that's what Ish wanted. So I I don't blame him. I'm, I'm going to miss him. I truly am going to miss Ish Masood on this team. But realistically, I think even if we kept the roster we have right now, I'm not sure he's in the starting five. Plus, we need to, with him leaving, we need to pick up three more names in the transfer portal. So I'm, I feel like Ish would have kind of gotten lost in the shuffle and he definitely wouldn't be starting. But, you know... I understand why he did it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in the same boat. Um, I, I, I get that ish probably wants to start uh, playing at home uh, back in New York was probably uh, a big rush of memories and maybe even contributed to a certain degree with maybe a desire to get closer to home. I don't know that. I don't know. If people even transfer for that anymore. Like that's kind of an NCAA fourteen football yeah. <laughs> like thing. But I mean, that's why uh, Marvin Martin transferred. That is true. Even though he ended up like equidistant to home, but <laughs> yeah, well, he tried. Uh, he did. But I don't know. I I think you're right. Ish, uh, while providing a super important role for this team, which was a reliable and consistent shooting from three. Um. Probably just isn't the forward that Jerome Tang envisions having as like a starter on a Jerome Tang team. Uh, I, I, I think you're more likely to see more Naquan Tomlins and David Gassans than Ishmael which uh, those guys just are so much better moving laterally. They're quicker. They can do more uh, in the paint uh, and all around are generally more athletic than Ish, despite not being as good of a shooter. They're finishers at the rim. Um, which of course now this is leaving us to, we need to get shooters in the portal, uh, pretty badly because, yeah. uh, Marquise Noel and Masood being gone as well as Keontae Johnson. We're losing a lot of shooting. Uh, so that's going to be a big focus in the portal, but yeah. I'm going to really miss Ish. Um, I'm glad that he really found his stroke, uh, in big 12 play and had one of the better, uh, like role playing seasons. Uh, in a long time uh, for K-State, he really played his role well and really, uh, I think, committed to that role as the season went on. So I, I'm super happy that Ish decided to stick around. Um, and I'm going to really miss him. I hope that he finds a place to land softly. Yeah, I agree. Now we can kind of work through everyone leaving. That's a, starting off with Marquise Noel. We We already kind of mentioned it. You can't replace what Marquise Noel did. You can replace an aspect of it. You can have a like a good energy outside shooter. You can have a good distributor. If you find both, consider yourself lucky. But even then, you're that you're going to lose out something that Marquise brought. And I'm really happy that the him belonging in the rafters is not a controversial take because he does. I, he does. <laughs> yeah. I think it would have been a lot more of a controversy if it, if he hadn't had the ops or the uh, postseason that he did. Oh yeah. Um, but I mean, the way that he played in March madness, I think makes him undeniable from a uh, Raptor talk. Yeah. Uh, then Keontae Johnson, KJ, he's graduating. He's going to, he's going to be an NBA guy. I, Again, just the the story of Keontae Johnson and how he played here. 
he's not only instrumental to the story of college basketball this season, but to K-State as a school this season as well. And it helps that he was just an insanely good star player as well. So again, that's another case that you you sort of have to pick one thing to replace KJ's output in. Do you want to get that bully, that bully ball, you know, ISO ball kind of guy? Or do you want someone who can be, like, you know, a consistent outside shooter? I, I don't know. I'm glad I don't have to make this decision. <laughs> yeah, he is going to be another irreplaceable guy that when when you needed a bucket, you could just give him the ball and ISO. And he was more than likely just going to go back a guy down and drill a mid-range. We didn't have anybody else on the team that could really do that this year, like hit consistent from the mid-range. So uh, that that's going to be really tough to replace. There's been a lot of positive stuff being said about Taj Manning recently, but again, for everybody that does not regularly stand in the ice facility and uh, watch practice, uh, he's a non-factor. I shouldn't say a non-factor. He's an unknown, unknown factor, yeah. unknown commodity to the fan base. So, High hopes, but we will see you, Taj. But Keontae Johnson, uh, for a one-year guy's impact, cannot be uh, uh, understated. Uh, along with being the best story in college basketball this year, based on what pretty much everybody seems to think. Um, then being uh, an All-American, him and Keese being one of a select group of uh, um, du- dual All-Americans at the same time. Yeah. So... Uh, good for good for those two guys. Gonna really really miss Keontae Johnson. Um, I I hope he has a successful NBA career because I think he's probably looking at being a second round pick from last time I saw. Uh, so I hope he can figure it out. I hope uh, Arkeese Noel figures it out in the NBA as well because uh, I did see somebody tweet recently that he had worked his way into the top 100 prospects for the NBA draft. There's only two rounds of the draft, so there's only 60 picks, mm-hmm. but. If you're in the top 100, you're at least getting a summer league shot. Yeah. So uh, hopeful for Keese, uh, hopeful for Keontae Johnson, that we can increase K-State's uh, presence in the NBA because that's something that's been lacking for a while. But yeah, uh, yeah I'm going to really miss those guys. Yeah. Then Desi, the ultimate energy guy and just a glue guy, basically. He's energy, glue guy, first guy off the bench, eventually made his way into the starting five. Just how to refuse to lose attitude. Like it, it we we talk about Marquise Noel just having a refuse to lose attitude in New York. That was Desi the entire season. Desi would do anything to get a victory, including damn near murdering someone on multiple <laughs> blocks. So I I feel like that one uh, all of these hurt. There's no exception. All of these do hurt in one way or another. But I feel like Desi is going to be the one that quietly hurts the most. Yeah. Desi was so important to this team. Um, and of course did get overshadowed by Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson and not without merit to that. I mean, those two guys are obviously the stars, but Desi's um, defensive intensity and ability to get to the rim and also apparently having a 40 inch vert, which I did not realize until a commentator said it in the NCAA tournament. So uh, it made sense after he posterized that dude for Montana State. Um, <laughs> but Desi's contributions were massive to this team. This team probably does not have the season that it does without Desi Sills. So uh, especially impressive considering he got to campus super late. Yeah. Um, like he was not on campus to like the middle of October. And like a month later, he was like playing on the basketball court with those mm-hmm. guys. So I'm going to gonna really, really miss Desi. Um high impact for a one-year guy again so good luck to him and his future endeavors he honestly could probably play some professional ball overseas if he uh, wants to i think he's good enough a buy me isiola i i can't i can't i can't talk about baby without a smile on my face i i this sounds super weird to say but he was probably the most lovable person on the team because he was just this high effort, really great defender who just, I I don't know how to describe Bebe to someone who is like not witnessed him, but he was, 
a high effort defender who truly did give everything that he had on the court, despite the fact that he is quite literally a grown man with a child and a wife. Yeah. <laughs> I I will never forget him dropping like 16 points and posterizing a guy at OU. Yeah. Most most will forget it because we lost that game, but I will never forget that and just being I, I see you, baby. Bat. I see you, baby. I, 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 I see him. Uh, we we both see him here, the Aggieville Alley Cats, but uh, he never quite broke out into having the like high impact season that I think we initially hoped for. Um, but still played valuable role minutes and was huge uh, in the time that David Gasson was injured. So uh, he he found his role and he he played valuable minutes and filled in when was needed. And I will sorely miss by Miagiola. And finally, Tyke Green, who I ended up co- calling towards the back end of the season a literal pterodactyl because his arms are ridiculous. Yeah. Like he, he was another plus defensive guy who had really, really good games, like offensively, mostly against TCU, but exclusively against TCU, exclusively against TCU. (laughs) But, you know, it was just a good defender on any other K state team. He's probably either first guy off the bench or in the starting five. Unfortunately, he picked this year to be a part of this team or fortunately, depending on how you view it. But yeah, Taiki again, solid defense going to miss him. Yeah. He, um, um, took a, um, he had an interesting route cause he, uh, in his prior seasons had been a main guy, at other locations. So him showing up to K state kind of taking more of a backseat role player approach, uh, was surprising, but valuable at the same time, uh, to have a guy like Taiki that can just come off the bench and like the TCU game and decide to score 11. And that ends up playing a significant role and also having some crazy good dunks, uh, in those <laughs> games too. He had a, he had a really great dunk early in the season too, against, I think it might've been the first game of the year. I think against UTRGV, I think he had a huge dunk, uh, early on in that game. Uh, but I, I will miss Taiki as well, even though he could never quite find his uh, shooting stroke. Um, that doesn't matter because he was mainly here to play defense and he played some really good defense and was super valuable in that regard. Uh, especially we, we just needed a stopper. So shout out Taiki. Yep. That, that's pretty much all I have to say about men's basketball, other than enjoy the fact that the season happened and get ready for another good one next year. Cause I don't think, I don't think Tang will allow a down season to be as bad as the down seasons K-State has had before. Oh, yeah. But now we lead into women's basketball, who also wrapped up their season, unfortunately, with a loss in the Sweet 16 of the WNIT to Washington, 48-55. to Again, we're not going to talk about the game. Uh, again, it just happened so long ago. Uh, the thing to note is that with this game – the K-State women's basketball team finishes winless in true road games. It's the same issue we had last year. It's the same issue the Batcats had this year, or I guess every year since we've been covering them. So two years now, although the Batcats did pick up one against Air Force, but eh, whatever. Um, yeah. It, it, we, mentally, we kind of checked out of the, <laughs> the women's basketball team about two or three weeks ago. <laughs> But, you know, I still want to say, like, give goodbyes to one person who we know can't return and then another person who uh, probably won't be returning. Uh, that's Sarah Shamatsi. She'll have to move on. She was a grad transfer. Then I think Emily Ebert is moving on. I could be wrong about that, but I think she is. That's only am, two people, though. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that. Um, Ebert is moving on. She walked at senior day, so I'd be pretty surprised if she was sticking around, but we'll see, I guess, but unlikely. Yeah. But yeah. Um, Shimanti started all year. Ebert has been fan favorite for four years now being a, uh, um, Kansas native. So, uh, both will be missed. Uh, Shimanti brought, 
some scoring spurts at times against uh, big teams and big games. She was massive in that upset win over Iowa. Uh, hit like six threes, I think, in that game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was really big this year because she was brought in on short notice to try and fill some of the void left by uh, Aoka Lee and Gisela Sanchez. So that's a big ask. And she uh, stepped in and was willing to uh, give it a shot and play the post uh, in a spot where you know she was fall- trying to fill in for an All-American, which yeah. is an impossible task uh, on its face. Yeah. So. Uh, I, I think she did admirably and had a, a solid year. And Ebert has been a consistent presence throughout her time at K-State. Uh, had a really nice free throw streak going early in the year and has um, had some really nice moments as well. Uh, even yeah, if she really, even if she wasn't <laughs> starting for a majority of the year. Yeah. Um, she, she, I think, had a few spot starts and generally was a really good intensity presence and played some really good defense. Yeah. The uh, the free throw streak that Brian Smoller jinxed away. Yep. <laughs> yeah, he he messed up that one a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but you know, next next year we'll do we will do a preview of the women's basketball team this next year because good lord, <laughs> that I. I don't believe that it is possible for a women's team not named South Carolina, UConn, or NC State to win a national title. I don't think that's possible. That being said, on paper, the roster constructed next year. Good Lord. (laughs) There's going to be some heavy star power on next year's roster. Uh, Gabby Gregory's back. Uh, Ayoko Lee's returning from injury. Serena Sundell is going to be in her third year of starting at point. Uh, the Glenn twins are going to be back. Uh, there's and Eliza Moppin is going to continue developing this off season. Uh, there's going to be a, a lot of big names. Terrence sides is coming in uh, as a recruit. So there, there's a lot to like about this team going into next year. And with that being said, if that team doesn't do well next year, I don't think they're ever going to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nah, next year, yeah. next year's kind of the year where everything is aligning at the perfect time. Uh it, it's gotta be next year. It has to be. But that's pretty much all I have to say about women's basketball. Now we can get into the 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 bit of the show that makes us unique because I'm 99% sure we are the only podcast who covers the Batcats. I'm almost 100% sure. So I guess 99%. I, I'm not aware of anyone else really covering the back hats at all. I think Shake and Blake occasionally mentioned them. Yeah. Oh, they might. But I think we're the only ones that do with consistency. So if you want back hat news, if you enjoy pain, then you're in the right place. <laughs> well, this week. There's we also actually, not much pain this week. There, there isn't that much pain this week. Because we open our home Big 12 slate uh, sweeping Oklahoma, who was a regional team last year. Uh, That's all we need to say about Oklahoma. We don't need to talk about how they've had a massive step down. That's not relevant. Uh, (laughs) But we ended up winning the series, sweeping them uh, 7-1, 7-6, and then 8-7. So the last two were really close games. And, you know... Again, we we have to pick MVPs. Honestly, it's pretty hard to pick MVPs just because of how consistent just about everyone was. There are contenders in uh, Rafael Pelletier, uh, Cash Rougely, uh Tyson Neighbors for slamming the door shut twice. Like there, there are a lot of good candidates here. But this series, I think, proved what this team could be. And I think that this team, we we always keep saying that this team is a fun team. Fun does not always equate to being a great team, but I I think that this proved the point that whenever K-State baseball doesn't get in its own way, whether that be through managerial decisions or just a couple lapses in judgment, Whenever K-State baseball doesn't get in its own way, they are a very, very solid team. And I think that's what the Oklahoma series proves. Because Oklahoma's not a bad team. Like, they're they're hovering above 500 right now. But they're, they're not 
a terrible team and they're not as bad as you'd think. They're conscious. They're conscious. They're a conscious team. This isn't this isn't us beating up on, you know, the St. Mary's children of the poor whenever they pull up to its Toynton Family Stadium and we just slobber knock them. No, because we did that and that was St. Thomas and we lost one against them. Yeah. But <laughs> had to sneak that one in there. But this was a really solid series. And there was, this is something maybe three people who listen to the show are going to get. There was elite attendance at the last game. We're just going to leave that one there. Just going <laughs> to. All right. Butter just dead eyes staring into the camera at me. <laughs> Yeah, Connor, what do you what do you think about the the Oklahoma series? I I think you had a nice way of putting it. Um I, I like that a lot of times we had uh, contributions from different areas uh of the roster. Uh, Owen Borma had a really good start uh in the first game, and Tyrule was really great in relief as well. Uh so uh Borma, he uh, got a quality start with this one, giving up just one earned run in six innings. Uh, and uh, the first game uh, pitching throughout the weekend was uh, inconsistent, I'd say, but we showed up when we needed to uh, Tyson neighbors, of course, slammed the door shut uh, twice on Oklahoma. Uh, and he, he had a really nice uh, weekend um, with uh, with the, the for the back hats. Um, and we uh, drew a lot of walks. Uh, Dom Hughes drew four walks in the first game. <laughs> Uh, I mean, we continue to be one of the most walked teams in all of college baseball. I think we're number one. I think we, I, I actually think you are right. I think I we're the most, we draw more walks than anyone else in the country, which is really fascinating considering last year, our uh, plate discipline was awful, but um, Brady day had a really good series as well. Um, and we were able to get a few home runs on that uh, last day as well. Um, Pelletier and Johnson both had uh, some of those, but we, um, yeah, there's a there's a lot to be happy with uh, from the series. Roberto Pena got out of his uh, long term slump. Uh, he got two doubles and four RBI and uh, the uh, uh, second game of the series and did not strike out a single time, which is a big step for him. So yeah. uh, shout out to him. Uh, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised at the sweep. This was it was big to get the sweep coming off of dropping a series to Baylor and dropping a game to St. Thomas. Uh, it was, uh, we really needed a sweep. I think I did not expect one, but we got it and in comeback fashion. Uh, nonetheless, uh, we, we, I mean, at least a couple of those games, it was the, uh, the last game that was the, uh, the comeback, uh, four rounds in the eighth and then one in the ninth. Uh, to put together uh, that big come from behind win. Yeah. Um, the walk off by Brady day on yeah. a really insane at bat, by the way, because it was a full count for three pitches, no four pitches. And it was pitch four that after fouling off three, he Brady day hits a single to right field, which uh, scored the winning run in Brendan Jones which I feel like the moment Brendan Jones got in scoring position there, I felt really good about our chances because we could have hit it literally anywhere. Brendan Jones probably would score as long as it made it out of the infield. Yeah. And Brady day, he nearly had a home run there at the end. He nearly had a grand slam, but it was just a a few feet shy, I think of getting out of the park, but yeah, he had a really nice series. Um, I, apparently there's some chippiness between um K-State and Oklahoma on the oh, yeah. baseball diamond. Some of that may be from P. Hughes formerly being the coach at Oklahoma. Some, uh, some of that of maybe just, them destroying our bullpen camera. Yeah. Uh some of it's probably just some on the field animosity in general, but I got the best of them uh this weekend um after a pretty embarrassing series down in Norman last year. Uh so nice to get them back uh for for that. Yep. So that's the Oklahoma series. Now we can talk about the the midweek series that K-State had against Air Force, who before uh before the K-State series, Air Force was eight and sixteen. 
or nine and uh, nine and fifteen rather. They end up leaving ten and sixteen, so we end up splitting the series with them. This was at uh, Colorado Springs at the the Air Force Base. Uh, the first game is significantly more exciting to talk about, so we'll talk about the second game first. Um, this was the one game of the year so far that we haven't been able to live tweet because I was in my three-hour seminar class. Yes, it is miserable before you ask. And I would just occasionally check the box score. I stopped checking after the sixth inning. I got out of the class and saw that a football game had been played apparently because the final score was 18 to 13 in favor of the Falcons. I don't know how that happened, but it certainly did. Um, The pitchers were Dalton Beck was the starter. Shea Hardis came in, uh, Cole Weissenbaker, Blake Corsentino, and then Andrew Evans stopped the game i'm not gonna say closed out the game i'm gonna say he was the pitcher in when the game ended (laughs) yeah obviously not a very good pitching performance uh blame the altitude blame the fact that air force generally is a pretty really good power hitting team maybe it's a combination of both Eh, i'm willing to chalk up like a split midweek series loss to especially on the road that that kind of just does nothing to me, like nothing for me. The same way that a win doesn't really do anything for me unless it happens the way the first game did. So do you, do you have any, do you, I guess, disagree or agree with that on the, the second I feel, game? I feel differently primarily because Air Force sucks and there's <laughs> no reason that we should be losing games to them. Like, if anything, the altitude should have been good for us because we're already a power hitting team and uh, we we should have been able to really take advantage of that. And I get that our pitching isn't the best in the world, but we are not. We should not be 18 runs uh, put up against us by a below 500 team bad. Uh, so I, I I was really dismayed after this uh, second game. The first game was fun getting to come back and uh um, get the big win uh, with some uh, uh, late rallying by by the Backhats, but just being unable to stop Air Force. They scored in all but two innings, and they didn't have the bottom of the ninth, of course, so uh, that's pretty bad. Honestly, the only positive that I can draw out of this uh, is that Kalen Culpepper is back yes, from injury. Yes, back. And that's huge, I think, for this team. Uh, to get Kalen Culpepper back, and he had a good series as well. Uh, I think uh, he he made his presence known. Went two for five in the first game with an RBI, uh, and three for two with three walks and three RBI in the second game. So he was fantastic in his uh, uh, in his return to the starting lineup, uh, and I, I'm very happy to see him back. Um, but yeah, I, I I'm not quite as willing as you are. I think to write off the. Uh, lost to Air Force in the second game. Uh, yeah, it is a midweek, so it doesn't matter as much, but uh, we should not be losing games uh, in the midweeks regardless, just because we 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 should be better than that, I think. Um, and losing on the road maybe, be, maybe is a bit expected at this point, um, but I'd rather not be expecting it. Yeah. Uh, so I, I just pent up frustration with not really performing well on the road. Uh, the pitching had its worst outing of the season by far. Um, just all things considered, this was a really, really, really bad game uh, for the Bad Cats, um, with the exception, of course, of uh, hitting um, on the in the latter part of the game, but. I would just let it get out of hand early. And there were a few errors as well, to be fair. But I mean, that takes the earned runs from 18 to 16. So it's not like like it was that big. It wasn't, <laughs> wasn't like game ending, like errors or anything like that. Well, we still lose. We still. Yeah. Um, but really frustrating uh, to drop a game to a not very good Air Force team, uh, especially letting 18 runs up on us that we can do better. Yeah. 
first game was really fun though because it was it it started off not very fun and wasn't very fun until literally the sixth inning when Palatier hits his home run and then Kojo in the seventh hits a grand slam to make the score eight to nine. The game fell over after the, like the sixth inning and then the bases get loaded. It's like, all right, what are we going to do? Oh my God, that's a Kojo bomb. <laughs> he nuked that baseball. <laughs> and then funnily enough, a balk of all things is what tied the game. <laughs> it was <laughs> so, and then a Nick Goodwin Homer ended up scoring Kalen Culpepper and then a Roberto Pena double this, this last month, if you, well, not last month, these last two weeks, if you needed Roberto Pena to double in a clutch situation, he's got you. He, un- <laughs> he, he's gotcha. Yeah. Picked a good time to get out of his slump. Yeah. But this game was really exciting to watch because of the the late game shaboingery, if you would, the shenanigans that occurred. Mason Buss, though, did have his worst outing of the year. He and again, I think this was another case of stubborn insistence on keeping a pitcher in, hoping they figure it out. Mason Buss never really figured it out. He had a good third inning. Uh, he didn't register a single strikeout. Ended up walking three guys, giving up five runs. It, eh, not, not like a he, good he, he never had it, which is such a shame because that's the first outing this year where Mason Bush just hasn't had it. Sometimes he had bad days. Then Kyler Haney came in and he wasn't locked down, but he was good enough to keep the game close. Only two earned runs, and then Tyson Neighbors did uh, Tyson Neighbors things and just completely decimated them. It, it's gotten to the point where if we're able to hand the ball off to Tyson Neighbors with a lead, like, you can feel pretty confident that you're going to end up winning the game just because his stuff is so overpowering. Like he's throwing 95, 96 on his fastball. And then he comes up with, like he's developed a changeup because last year he was fastball slider. That was about it. I, I think he threw other pitches, but they weren't good. Like he's developed a changeup this year. And honestly, out like of his three pitches, his second best is probably his changeup. The first is his slider. If he could just like be a slider changeup pitcher, I think he could make it work. But you know, it there this this last couple of weeks for bat cats has given reasons for optimism. It's just a matter of sustaining it because remember when we got optimistic last year, Connor? Yeah. You remember how that ended for us? Yeah. (laughs) I don't want that to happen again. I I'm just going to pretend that it is going to happen. And if something different occurs, then I'll be happy, but I'm, I refuse to get my hopes up yet. Uh, especially after the Air Force loss on day two, um, I am going to be withholding happiness from uh, this, from this Batcat squad until proven otherwise, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, all, all in all, save for that last Air Force loss, it was a very successful week. Sweeping OU uh, is big, uh, and then at least we get one of the Air Force games, but no reason to drop that second game. Just a yeah. embarrassing display of pitching. Um, yeah. normally we put it on the fielders, but 18 runs, you just, you can't put that on the field no. <laughs> at some point. It's definitely just pitching and yeah. we definitely reached that point, but yeah. And then I'm not too worried about Mason bus either. Cause that other than this one outing that he had in that, uh, first game against air force, he's been nails all year. So I'm not at all worried about Mason bus. Um, in fact, but, his brother's committed to K state. No one. Yeah, yeah, that, that does ring a bell, actually. So, um, yeah. Also, I think Air Force's pitcher Ben Weber. I think he was here last year, unless it's a different Ben Weber. It might be a bit different Ben Weber. Yeah, I imagine it's like not super easy to transfer into Air Force, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the the next game for the Batcats is up against number twenty four in the country, West Virginia. But before you 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 fear too much, it's number twenty four, West Virginia, uh, in Toynton Family Stadium. So, (laughs) all right. So we have a shot then. Yeah, we, we are not screwed. 
So yeah, if you're in town, support the Batcats. I will be at probably at least two of these games. Hopefully a bunch of children don't invade the student section again. Uh, Connor, you, I'm still mad that, about that it. That would be a shame. But... I'm still mad. Connor knows specifically why I'm mad about it. I'm not sharing, but he knows. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but now we can go into the wacky segment of the week. And that is if you could pick, if you could be a student during one K-State athletic year, what year are you picking? Connor, would you like to go first or would you like me to? Um, I guess I'll go first. It hardly matters because I think we're going to say the same year unless you've elected to choose differently. But I, I've elected to choose differently from the previous. Okay. Because I thought about <laughs> it a little more. Um, I'm going to roll with uh, easy answer 2012, 2013. Uh, three Big 12 titles in one season. Uh, fantastic football year. Uh, beat some big big time teams at home uh 2012 uh 13 season for basketball bring home a big 12 title uh, obviously go out in the first round into the way tournament which is not fun but I, I i you can't go wrong with the conference title uh and then baseball really it's one truly great season ever uh so you kind of get you, get you get that like bonus uh season there i guess uh with them so um, I, I think 2012-2013 is an easy pick to digest, uh, but what do you have? This year. That's also that, fair, I think. The, this is It might be big-time recency bias. It also may be the fact that I wasn't a K-State fan in 2012-2013. But my counter-argument to that is, yeah, you were like 2012 and 2013, you won a lot. Like, and like, no one can take away the winning from that year. But this year's just been so monstrously fun. Like this has had this year has had so many all-time classic K-State moments. The goal line stuff against TCU in the Big 12 championship game, the drubbing and shutout of number nine Oklahoma State in football, Tang's first year and us beating KU in Bramlage for the first time in a while. The the whole culture that Tang has brought his first year, the hang with Tang interviews. So, and for all their faults, the women's basketball team, when they played at home, were a very very fun team to to watch. And the Batcats, if you know, for again for all their faults, they're fun. So I I think that I would pick this year just based off of fun factor because yeah you could argue and you would be right to say that we were equal if not more winning in the three ball year but were we having as much fun were we watching the kj yam against ku we were were we getting to experience marquise noel like for the last time like i i don't know but i i think now and I'm kind of I'm starting to feel the same thing that you felt where I'm just like, damn, I'm not going to be here next year. <laughs> it sucks. Yeah, yeah, it, it really does, doesn't it? Like that that feeling that you get like right after the, the main seasons wrap up. Yeah, it really blows. Um, I, uh, I, I felt the same, but yeah, I mean, that. It, it is definitely some recency bias, I guess, to a certain degree, but you also can't really go that wrong with uh, uh, this year, especially because you get some K-State legends. You get Deuce Vaughn. Uh, you get, uh, you would have gotten a Yoko Lee. Uh, you get Marquise Noel. Uh, so you can't, you can't go too wrong with that. You get the emergence of Will Howard and some really entertaining football, Big 12 championship and football over a playoff team. So there's a lot to really like there. Uh, and yeah, maybe there was a bit more winning in the uh, 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 2012, 13 season, but I do think that there's a pretty strong argument for the teams this year being at least in terms of watchability, more fun, uh, especially in basketball because the basketball team is just so much fun, but you can't go wrong with either. I think. Yeah, I 
I don't know. I, I've already re I've already gotten my young alumni ticket so <laughs> for next year. So hopefully next year rocks just as much. But that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Calf podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to follow or contact the show, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Aggieville Acats. That's capital A, capital A, capital C and cats. If you want to email us, we're AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I'm at AC Edwards 00. I am at Connor Balthazor, capital C, capital D. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store where you can find such designs as the staff approved Doom Tank Clan, Play Sand Storm Cowards, and Neon Alley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Valley Cats.